Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Welcome in, everybody. We. Episode 430. America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Friday, September 17th. 2021 and yes people we are already halfway through september we will be a quarter of the way through the college football slate for most teams after this weekend so as the old saying goes enjoy this college football thing baby because it goes by fast really fun show for you today really loaded show for you today here's the quick rundown of what we're going to do We will obviously start with the week three breakdown. We will start by breaking down all the big games in week three of college football. Alabama playing at Florida, their first true road test of the season. Uh, On top of that, Penn State hosting Auburn. First chance that we get to see Auburn on the national stage. Nebraska at Oklahoma, and a rivalry that is no longer a rivalry. One, because they don't play, and two, because they stink. Indiana, Cincinnati, on and on and on and on and on. From there, we will quickly transition uh, to Chris Livingston top five prospect in high school basketball commits to Kentucky. I will tell you why, yes, this is very much a big deal and not just because another good player is committing to Kentucky, but this is bigger and more important in a way that I think a lot of people don't fully realize. We will wrap with Nick Coffey, my buddy Nick Coffey, 790 KRD, a good friend of mine. He joins me about twice a month during the football season and we just kind of get caught up on the stuff that we missed out on. Nick is a college sports diet hard like me loves college football loves college basketball hosts a radio show in louisville monday through friday we talk a lot about usc i know last episode i talked a ton about usc but wanted to get a different perspective we also talk about um you know i I actually have an interesting college football playoff take that i have not shared that i think you guys will be intrigued by as it pertains to this season in the college football playoff and then nick drops a kind of a wild story at the end that is going on locally there in louisville uh so nick coffee will join me really fun show always nice to just get another voice on the show two mega guests the last two fridays by the way jay wright last week nick coffee this week two hall of famers that's right baby and with that said Let's get to the topic of the day. And what I would say is, 
No real major topics that have come up since the last time we recorded the Aaron Torres podcast on late Tuesday going into Wednesday. Obviously, that day the big story was Clay Helton being fired at USC. Uh, Again, if you missed that, go back and listen to the last episode. I kind of give some thought on who I think they should hire, where they should go, whatever. Um, But with no major stories since that day in the world of college football, I think we just jump right into the Week 3 slate. And the Week 3 slate is interesting to me, right? Because Week 1... We have all these great dynamic games, Georgia Clemson, UCLA, LSU. We have Alabama, Miami, on and on and on and on and on, Penn State, Wisconsin. This week, uh, week two, excuse me, it was seen as a weak slate, um, but it ended up being a really fun slate, right? Arkansas just pounds Texas, uh, Michigan pounds Washington, Oregon stuns Ohio State in the shoe, Clay Hilton uh, final game as it turns out at USC. And week three, I think, has kind of some similar vibes where we are. There's some teams left that we are still learning about. We're going to learn a ton about them very quickly. Auburn has not played a meaningful game yet this year. Again, they go on the road at at uh, at Penn State. Florida, by the way, uh, hosts Alabama. Cincinnati plays it at, at Indiana on and on and on and on and on. But with that said, let's jump into the game I just talked about. Alabama, Florida fascinating game very interesting game Alabama of course is 2-0 this is their first true road game of the season Florida 2-0 but they haven't played anybody played Florida Atlantic crushed them played South Florida crushed them and we'll get into Alabama in a minute but I think Florida is a really fascinating team and the reason that Florida is a really fascinating team is for this reason they have an old school quarterback controversy baby That's right, and if you haven't paid attention to Florida, what's unique is their quarterback controversy is a little bit different than the normal one, right? Because most quarterback controversies fit into one of two categories. You either have two really established guys, and you don't really want to bench either, but you got to bench one. We have seen that before. Tua versus Jalen Hurts. Uh, You know, JT Daniels was the starter at at USC. He loses the job to Keaton Slovis, things like that. Uh, You want to go back a few years, JT Barrett and Cardale Jones. So you have those kinds of quarterback controversies. Then you got the quarterback controversies where nobody really wins the job and you don't really know what to do and who to play. Florida is neither of those. So Florida is a fascinating quarterback controversy for people who have not followed. They have two very different quarterbacks that are competing for this job if you wanted to call it a competition. And I don't know that right now Dan Mullen wants to call it a competition Um, because at the end of the day, what you need to know, they have a veteran named Emory Jones. He has been there for several years. To his credit, he was patient. He bought his time. He waited his time behind Kyle Trask. Kyle Trask goes pro. Emory Jones gets the opportunity The problem is he is not playing very well right now. 63% completion percentage, two touchdowns, four interceptions. And right behind him is a redshirt freshman named Anthony Richardson, who is awesome. Okay, Anthony Richardson, he is big. He actually kind of reminds me physically of that Dak Prescott, Tim Tebow, uh, you know, Dan Mullen type quarterback. And Dan Mullen, of course, was the offensive coordinator at Florida when Tim Tebow was there. So don't start with the Tim Tebow didn't play for Dan Mullen. Yes, he did. Dan, Dan Mullen was the offensive coordinator. But 
Anthony Richardson has kind of that frame, but he's much faster, probably more athletic than either of those guys. And through two games, it is very clear that he appears to be the better option at quarterback. Check this out. Averaging 25 yards per rush in Florida's two games. 25 yards per carry, including two touchdown runs. Uh, was a little banged up at the end of the South Florida game, but is expected to play. And what's interesting about this particular quarterback controversy is that Dan Mullen just everyone seems to know and think that Anthony Richardson is the best bet for Florida, but Dan Mullen refuses to budge. He says he's playing both. He said coming into this game he is playing both, and it doesn't feel like gamesmanship. I think he truly wants to stick with Emory Jones, the, the, the veteran, the guy that's stuck with the program, and he's having a hard time admitting that Anthony Richardson is the best option, although the possibility does exist that in a huge game against Alabama, you don't want to throw the freshman into the fire too quickly, maybe keep Alabama off their toes, whatever. But that's the fascinating thing coming into this game, even more so than Alabama. Is this the Anthony Richardson breakout game? Is this the game that Dan Mullen has no choice but to go to him full time? Because right now Dan Mullen says he wants to play both quarterbacks. The good news, if you want to call it that, for Florida... Alabama's defense is a bit banged up coming into this game. That's obviously not good news. You don't root for injuries. But uh, starting linebacker Christopher Allen was lost for the season in the Miami game. Two other starting linebackers, Henry Toto and Will Anderson, are banged up. So maybe Florida is able to move the ball. Then on the flip side, there's Alabama. And it's funny, right? Because you think Alabama, well, you take out the Alabama equation of it. You think redshirt freshman Bryce Young on the road, first road game, hostile environment at the Swamp, that's bad news. Except I don't really think that normal rules of football apply to Alabama. Like, we have a 15-year track record. They're just going to steamroll everybody, okay? You worry about a lot of things in life. You worry about your kids. You worry about your, your puppy getting sick. You worry about global warming. You don't worry about Alabama even if they're going on the road, and that is how I feel coming into this game. And it's funny because I kind of was sitting there thinking going into this game, when was the last time, like, like, the thought could be Alabama on the road, maybe they'll struggle. And I kind of sat there and thought, wait a second now, when is the last time Alabama has really struggled to move the ball? Because we talk about this offensive evolution that they're in the middle of. Lane Kiffin is the coordinator, Brian Dable, Steve Sarkeesian, now Bill O'Brien. And I sat there and I was like, when is the last time they have really struggled to move the ball? And so for fun, I went back and looked it up, and this stat blew my mind. When was the last time Alabama struggled to move the ball? How about this? They have scored at least 31 points in 26 straight games, okay? 26 straight games Alabama has scored at least 31 points. And it's not as though they have not played anybody over that stretch. And to be clear, this is what that stretch is. The 26 games uh, uh, stretch spans this, this, uh, this particular time frame. It spans the two games this year, Mercer and Miami. It spans 13 games in the national championship season last year and the entire season the year before. So from the start of Tua's final season through all of last year, through the first two games this year, Alabama has scored at least 31 points in all those games. And it's not like they haven't played anybody during that stretch. They played LSU twice, including in the national championship season for LSU. They played Ohio State and Notre Dame last year. They played Michigan in a bowl game. They played, um, you know, Florida in the SEC championship game. They played Georgia. 31 points in all of those games. And in 21 of those 26 games, they have scored at least 40 points. And so I just don't see Alabama struggling here. It's worth noting, by the way, the last time Alabama did not score 31 points in a game 
It was the national championship game against Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence's freshman season, okay? So Trevor Lawrence, dating back to his freshman season, that was the last time that Alabama got held under 31 points. I say all this to say I really do think Alabama rolls. Maybe it's close for a half. Maybe it's close for three quarters. I just don't see the scenario where Florida, without the established starting quarterback, is able to continue to move the ball against this team. They have struggled enough as it is. Alabama, I really do feel like they roll. Maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe I'll look stupid. But if you're asking me for a final score, I'll say something in the neighborhood of 41-21 to 21 Alabama as the Crimson Tide roll first game of the season on the road, and I am not worried one bit. With that said, let's move on to the other super marquee game of the weekend. Saturday night, a whiteout, baby. That's right, whiteouts are back. Whiteouts are back at Penn State as Penn State hosts Auburn. Both teams are ranked. Penn State, of course, has that very big opening night win against Wisconsin. Auburn, we really don't know much about, and we're going to learn a ton. And why don't we know much about them? Here is who Auburn has played so far. They played Akron, and they played Alabama State. Not sure how much you know about those two teams. Not ranked in anybody's top 25. Maybe Alabama State in the FCS top 25, but Akron and uh, Alabama State are not exactly playing uh, Bama and Georgia in back-to-back games. But for Auburn, what I do think is interesting is this. We can say, well, they haven't played anybody. What do we know? They have destroyed both of those teams. They beat Akron 62-10. to They beat Alabama State 60 to nothing. Not great at math, but in my head that equates to 122 to 10. They have outscored their top two, their first two opponents. Zero points allowed in the first three quarters of any game. And what that says to me is you can criticize Bam, or you can criticize Auburn for not playing anybody, but credit them for taking care of business against the teams that they are supposed to, right? Just think about all the teams that have struggled. You, you think Florida State doesn't feel like, uh, you know, uh, ask Florida State how easy it is to just destroy a team that you're expected to destroy. How about Notre Dame barely surviving last week against a MAC team? Um, you know, go on down the list. Iowa State struggled in week one. Washington lost to an FCS team. Uh, Tulsa lost to it. Like, you go on. It's not easy to beat teams that you're supposed to beat by a lot. So I want to give Auburn credit for that. And when I look at Auburn, two things stand out. One, the defense has been absolutely phenomenal. Now, again, it's Akron and Alabama State, but they are right now number three in the country in total defense. And how about this? They are number one in the country in yards per rush allowed. In other words, the other team gets the ball. They run the ball at you. Auburn is giving up less than one yard per game. One yard per game right now. For the Auburn Tigers, and I don't care who the opposition is, that is an incredible stat and an incredible testament to the culture that Brian Harson is trying to build in Auburn in terms of toughness, in terms of physicality, and I think that is getting through right now. Now with Penn State, this is what we know. We know they took care of Wisconsin in week one. We know it was a signature win. By the way, we know James Franklin ducked the heck out of that question about USC. Did you guys see that, by the way? He was asked about USC. Oh, I don't do distractions. I'm going to talk to my leadership guy. We don't, we don't do distractions. Anyway, I bring it all up to say what we know about Penn State, tough, physical, gritty win on the road against Wisconsin. I give him a ton of credit. It isn't easy to go to Camp Randall and get a win. Doesn't matter if it's morning, noon, night, whatever. Not easy to win there, and Penn State did it. I do also think it's worth noting, Penn State easily could have lost that game, and a lot of their win was due to self-inflicted stuff from Wisconsin. Wisconsin, remember, early in that game, two drives that got into the red zone in the first half. They ended up with zero points. One fumble, one missed field goal. 
That's at least six points, if not 10, that they left on the field in that game. Penn State comes back and wins. And even when they come back, 250 yards of total offense in that game, which there's no shame in that. Wisconsin's really good on defense. But 250 yards against Wisconsin, 150 or so came on three big plays. And so I don't think either team is really able to move the ball in this game. For those of you gamblers, the point spread, it was at six. It was down to five at DraftKings last I saw. Uh, And the over-under is 53. The over-under feels really good to me, much more so than I like either side on the line. I'm just curious with Auburn. I will say this with Auburn, it's also worth noting, Bo Nix, we all have our favorite Bo Nix meltdown stories. Bo Nix has been really good this year. I think Brian Harson's done a great job of taking stuff off of his plate, of not asking him to do too much. He's completing 74% of his passes, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. I bring all of this up to very simply say, I think in this game, Brian Harson tries to take a lot off his plate, tries to make him make sure that he doesn't have to do too much. I think this is low scoring. I probably still think Penn State wins. I think it's like a 21-17 kind of deal, uh, but I do like the under more than I do on either side of the number. A couple other marquee games. How about Nebraska-Oklahoma? You know, there is a segment of our listenership here at the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast that remembers Nebraska-Oklahoma being one of the great rivalries in college football, dating back to when the two were in the Big 8, and then they eventually went to the Big 12. I looked up the stat just for fun. I was curious. For 20 straight years, from 1969 until 1989, the winner of this game was ranked in the top 10. And so for people that wonder, like, okay, Oklahoma's awesome. But for people that are, you know, 20, 25, 18, however old you are listening to this, and you're like, Torres, you old man, you old grump, get off the porch. Why are you always talking about Nebraska? Well, they won three national championships in the 90s and were basically every single year finishing in the top 10, if not, uh, you know, right near right near the top 10. I'm trying to pull up their, you know, previous history right now. But, you know, uh, I'm just looking. 94, they finished number one in the AP poll. Basically from, I'm looking at it right now, terrible radio. From 93 to 01, they finished outside the top 10 one time. Okay, they were awesome. They were a juggernaut. And I think it's pretty safe to say they are not that team anymore as they come into this Oklahoma game. Last time Nebraska won a national championship, by the way, was 97. You know who the quarterback was? It was Scott Frost. And so the rivalry is sort of renewed. It's also worth noting, by the way, Scott Frost tried to get this game canceled during the summer. So Scott Frost tries to get this game canceled, but the game is being played. And I'll just tell you, this is another one. I think we're going to learn a lot about Oklahoma here. Oklahoma did not look good in their opener against Tulane. A couple turnovers, a couple defensive things, just weird, weird, weird dynamic in that Tulane game and allowed Tulane to get back in the game. They almost lost that game. I think more than anything, what stood out to me about that game against the Green Wave was that they only averaged 3.3 yards per carry in that game. We're not able to run the ball. And for people who kind of think, you know, Lincoln Riley, he came from, he played at Texas Tech, Mike Leach, disciple, air raid. They are always a team that is able to run the ball, even if they are in the shotgun the majority of the time. And even if we think about Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, guys like that being the quarterback of this team. And so are they able to move the ball? It'll be interesting. Now, from Nebraska's perspective, what's really interesting with them They've actually done what they needed to do after that meltdown in week zero against Illinois. 
And that was why that game was so big, and I talked about it on the following podcast. They didn't have much wiggle room. The schedule was going to get tougher. That was a game they needed to win. Illinois, by the way, 0-2 since that game, since that win against Nebraska. But to their credit, they have taken care of business against two teams they were supposed to. They beat uh, uh, they beat Fordham, excuse me, fifty two to seven. They beat Buffalo twenty eight to three. And the one thing that stands out to me about Nebraska, they are moving the ball. They're ranked number twenty one nationally in total offense. They're averaging five hundred thirteen yards per game. You know who's number eighteen, three spots ahead of them? It's Oklahoma. So I think we think that Oklahoma is a super dynamic offense, and Nebraska is this stinky, ancient, archaic offense. Uh, but it's actually closer than you think. Now, do we trust Adrian Martinez to take care of the football? I can't say that I do. If he doesn't have that fumble, maybe they beat Illinois. So many games throughout his career that they maybe win if he takes care of the football. I, you know, From a betting perspective, this is one that I will definitely be staying away from. This is one that I have no interest in wagering on. It just feels like I think Oklahoma is going to win. I don't feel great about the number, the point spread for people who like to bet uh, is 22 points. It just feels like one. I wouldn't feel great betting it. Uh, Oklahoma's schedule does get tougher from here. West Virginia next week, which was pretty good last year. At Kansas State. Remember, they lost to Kansas State two years ago when they had Jalen Hurts. And then the big Red River game against Texas on October 9th. Last kind of real marquee game. It is the Cincinnati at Indiana game. And we know why it's marquee. It's because uh, Cincinnati, excuse me, truly believe it's important for both sides Cincinnati wants to put Cincinnati last year I thought should have been in the playoff I thought that they should have at least gotten consideration for that number four seed that eventually went to Notre Dame undefeated in the regular season lose to Georgia in the Peach Bowl but the reason they never really got serious consideration they didn't play a single power five team because remember there were basically no out of conference games last year and so for Cincinnati this game is important because Cincinnati has Indiana and Notre Dame on the schedule and if they beat those two teams, one, you got to hope that both of them end up pretty good and neither of them looks particularly good right now. But you hope that those two teams are good because if they're good, that gives Cincinnati leverage in a conversation about the college football playoff. In addition to playing Cincinnati in the AAC and a couple other really good teams in the AAC. So it's important for Cincinnati. I think it's important for Indiana, too. This was a team that went five and two last year, five and one during the regular season. Um, and and really had real high expectations coming into this year, and they got destroyed by Iowa in week one. And so I know they want to take care of business. I know they want to get back on the map, and that is why this game is so interesting. What's worth noting to me is a few things. Both are really good defenses. Both rank in the top 30 nationally on defense. What stood out to me in looking at this game, though, Indiana has really had trouble moving the ball. 116th nationally in total offense, and you can sit there and say, well, what about Iowa? They played Iowa. Iowa's a really good team. And I agree with that 100%. Um, but, what I, when I, but what I also noticed was they played Idaho last week in a home game. They won by a large margin. But they had two special teams touchdowns and one touchdown that came directly off a fumble that was like an eight-yard drive into the end zone. And so I bring it up because you look at the Indiana box score, you think they won by a million points. But if you dig deeper, you realize that they really weren't able to move the ball. So to me, again, as far as the betting line is concerned, I probably like the under more than anything else. Uh, You know, Cincinnati is a slight favorite on the road. I'm not a huge fan of betting on uh, road favorites. But I bring all this up to say this should be a really fun game, really intriguing game. Just super excited to see how this one shakes out. Let's get to a couple other games before we get to Chris Livingston talk. A couple things. Okay. 
So, where should we start? We'll start with South Carolina, Georgia. You know, Georgia's about a 30-point favorite. South Carolina, I'll say this. I truly believe that South Carolina is one of the least talented teams in the SEC, if not the least talented team outside of Vanderbilt. But I will give Shane Beamer credit. Frank Beamer's son, who's now the head coach of South Carolina, they play hard for him. They're playing real defense. Believe it or not, they actually rank right now uh, number four in the country in total defense. Now, granted, they have not played anybody of note. They barely survive against East Carolina. I think Georgia steamrolls them. It's just a matter of how much they steamroll them by. Georgia could be down to a third-string quarterback. JT Daniels is not expected to play. Stetson Bennett has had some back problems. And so these are all things to consider as you get set for to watch this Georgia game. Uh, a couple other games worth noting. By the way, Georgia, you talk about a big weekend. How about this? Arch Manning. That's right. Peyton Manning and Eli Manning's nephew, who's the number one high school football player in America. Uh, Arch Manning will be visiting Georgia. We had a little post on it on Aaron Torres online today. Uh, beyond that, a couple other games I want to get to. Uh, first of all, uh, Michigan State-Miami, another game where I think we're going to learn a lot about somebody. Michigan State is actually right now one of the top rushing teams in the country, destroyed Northwestern in week one. And they're an interesting team because they were maybe the team hurt most by COVID last season. If you remember, Mel Tucker, their head coach, uh, was hired in February of 2020, okay? Remember, he was hired in February of 2020. Mark D'Antonio, the former head coach, uh, decides to retire uh, after he gets a certain bonus in early February of 2020. And... Mel Tucker gets the job mid to late February 2020, and then COVID hits. So the coach doesn't know the players. Players doesn't know the coach. They don't have spring practice. And then they get thrown into the season last year. They go 2-5 and five overall in what was just a forgettable season. Well, they look pretty good so far. This will be a big test. They play at Miami. Miami, of course, got steamrolled by Alabama. They played App State last week, really struggled against App State, although App State plays real defense. So that will be a game to keep an eye on. Minnesota-Colorado, I think, is an interesting one. I think Colorado's probably a little bit better than people realize. I know they played really well against uh, uh, A&M last week, but also Colorado went 4-2 and two last year. And so I'm not guaranteeing a win. I'm just saying I think they're probably a little bit better than people give them credit for. And a couple Pac-12 after dark games that I'm really excited about. The first one, uh, BYU hosting Arizona State, okay? Arizona State, it's easy to forget this now because they had the weird offseason where they're accused allegedly, and I use the word allegedly in air quotes, of bringing recruits on campus during COVID. That is obviously a major, 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 major no-no. They could get in trouble with the NCAA. But before all that happened, people were talking about Arizona State as a potential top uh, certainly a, a, a top Pac-12 title contender, a team that could potentially win the Pac-12 and go to the Rose Bowl. And so it's been a quiet few weeks. They take care of their first two opponents, Southern Utah and UNLV. And I'm just curious to see how they look. Go on the road to BYU. BYU is 2-0, but it's worth noting with BYU, they were outgained in their first game against Arizona. Last week against Utah, they actually gave up almost eight yards per carry against Utah, but were able to win because Utah just could not take care of the ball and could not pass the ball. Just fascinating to see what Arizona State looks like. Fascinating to see what UCLA looks like hosting Fresno. Fresno can sling the rock. UCLA, of course, coming off that big win over LSU. Good news for Chip Kelly. His team had a week to kind of catch their breath. I don't think there's going to be kind of a big letdown when it comes to this game. I do like UCLA, but that is a 10:45 Eastern kickoff. So get the coffee brewing. Also, hope you have the Pac-12 Network because that is what that game is on. All right, 
I think I'm going to take a quick break. 25 minutes on week three of college football. That's what we're going to do. Going to take a quick break. We are going to come back, and we're going to talk Chris Livingston, the number five player in high school basketball committing to Kentucky. I told you when there was college hoops news, we were going to talk college hoops, uh, and we will start ramping up the college hoops coverage probably once we hit October. Just had Jay Wright locking in a few more big guests. College hoops season is coming, but now let's take a quick break and talk Chris Livingston. All right, everybody. I am back. Uh, Good to be back. Good to be back. And, you know, one thing about this show, obviously I've been doing it for years now. Um, Well, Nick Coffey and I will talk in a minute. Nick actually joined me from the very beginning of this show dating back to episode one. But, you know, one of the things about this show is that because it is kind of the college football, college basketball hybrid, there are always going to be times of the year where one sport takes priority over the other. March, March Madness, February, conference championships, Obviously, we're talking a lot of college basketball, not nearly as much college football. But this is the time of year, specifically September, where there really just isn't all that much college basketball to discuss. And so usually this is going to be a college football-centric show. With that said, I've said from the beginning, if there was a college basketball news item worth discussing, I would talk about it. And that again happened this week on Wednesday as Chris Livingston the number five high school player in the class of 2022 has made his college decision. His decision, drum roll please, he has chosen the University of Kentucky. And if you're wondering, Torres, weren't you just talking about a guy that committed to Kentucky like two weeks ago? Yeah, I was. Chris Livingston becomes the second top five player in the last 10 days to commit to the University of Kentucky, just 10 days after Shaden Sharp, a guard who's originally from Canada who is now playing his, his high school basketball out in Arizona, committed to the Wildcats. And with the commitment of Chris Livingston, which followed the commitment of Shaden Sharp, with actually the chance that many more five stars are to come, let me just say this. John Calipari, he is officially back to being the elite best recruiter in college basketball and we'll get into that in a minute because I know some of you who are not UK fans are probably like dude what are you talking about he's always been the best recruiter but as a little bit of a backstory first of all let's talk about Chris Livingston really quick really 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 talented prospect he's a guy that's kind of been on the radar forever really emerged as a high school player Uh, as a freshman he's originally from Akron Ohio so naturally when you're a high school player from Akron you are going to be on people's radar many compared him to uh, I don't want to say they compared him to LeBron early but they said he's certainly the best player from the Akron area since LeBron and I think that's fair powerfully built 6'6 6'7 type wing really strong kid I mean you look at him you watch him and he just looks like the kind of kid uh, that if you didn't know that he was on a high school basketball court you'd think he played in the NBA right now strong physical finishes above the rim just kind of a grown man body and a grown man game um, you know, he's the number five ranked player in the class. I think he's as good as the third or fourth. I, I, I'm a huge Shaden Sharp guy. I'm a huge Derek Lively guy. Do like Amari Bailey, who's committed to UCLA as well. But Chris Livingston is right in the conversation. Is number two, number three, number four in the country. And I just think he's a really talented player. 
does have a little to work on. He has an improving three-point shot, uh, an improving step-back game. His handle probably needs a little bit of work right now. But the good news is he's going to be really well coached this coming season, headed to Oak Hill Academy in, uh, you know, the famed Oak Hill Academy. So many guys have gone there. Carmelo Anthony, Rajon Rondo, uh, Keldon Johnson, on and on and on down the list. I think he's going to only get better this year and really just come in full speed ahead at Kentucky. But while the Chris Livingston commitment is important to Kentucky because it is another building block for the 2022-2023 season, I think it's bigger than just one player. And I think it's even bigger than just him and Shaden Sharp committing over the last couple days because, as I said, I think this reestablishes Kentucky as the elite recruiting power in college basketball. And I know some of you who are not Kentucky fans, again, are probably sitting there saying, like, Torres, what are you talking about? John Calipari always recruits at a high level, and to that I'd say he does. And John Calipari even addressed this the other day. Uh, he was asked about recruiting momentum in the program, and he's like, what are you talking about? We've been signing number one classes since the day I got here. But it's also true that the quality of player, it has been more of a quantity thing than a quality thing where the first few years they had John Wall, they had Anthony Davis, they had Carl Anthony Towns, all ended up being the number one overall pick in their respective draft. They had Michael Kidd Gilchrist who went number two overall. They had uh, Jamal Murray, they had Brandon Knight. I mean, these guys were top one, top two, top three high school players in their class. And what I think would surprise a lot of people, Kentucky has only signed one top five prospect according to 24-7 Sports in the last five recruiting classes, that was Brandon Boston in the class of 2020. Of 2020, excuse me, I tripped over my own words there. Tripped over my tongue. Uh, Brandon Boston was the only one. B.J. Boston was the only one. There were some guys that were close to Aaron Fox, Bam Adebayo, and there were certainly some other guys that were really good college players. Tyler Hero, I just mentioned Keldon Johnson, P.J. Washington, guys like that. But here's the thing. While it seems like they're still signing number one classes, they're still signing elite high school players, it is important to note something that I have said many times. There is a significant difference between the top two or three high school players in any given class, the guy that can come to college basketball, have an immediate impact, put a program on his back, and lead them to success, and even the guys that are fringe top 10, top 12, top 15 prospects, and to me, um, you know, it equates a lot to the NBA. I've used this analogy many times. There is a big difference between getting the number one overall pick in the NBA draft and the number nine overall pick in the NBA draft. If you get number one overall pick, you expect to draft a guy like Anthony Davis, like Zion Williamson, like Kyrie Irving, like whomever that you can completely build your franchise around. You get the number nine overall pick, you're just hoping you get a guy that can help out, be a rotation player down the road. And as I said, early on, Kentucky was getting those number one type guys. I just mentioned them. Don't need to repeat them. I will very quickly. John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis, guys like that. The last couple classes, though, they've been coming really, really, really close, but not getting those true difference makers that you need, again, to compete at the highest levels of college basketball. Some of it's not their fault. You know, they, they were probably number two behind Oklahoma State for Cade Cunningham. If Oklahoma State did not uh, sign Cade Cunningham's brother as an assistant coach, Cade Cunningham is probably at Kentucky. Uh, James Wiseman, his very public number two, was Kentucky. Uh, would not have gone to Memphis had it not been for Penny Hardaway getting that job. Would have ended up at Kentucky. Um, you know, you go on and on down the list. There are a lot of guys like that. But then there's also just some that Kentucky has absolutely missed on. Just missed on Zion Williamson. 
They were right there. They thought they were in pretty good shape. They thought it was down to them and Clemson. Duke swoops in at the last minute. Uh, R.J. Barrett, think it's down to them, maybe Duke, maybe Oregon. Duke ends up getting the commitment. Um, you know, you go on down the list. I'm trying to think. Anthony Edwards, they thought for a while they were in pretty good shape with him. He ends up going to Georgia. And so Kentucky simply over the last few classes, they were getting very, very, very good high school players. I don't want to be disrespectful to Kelton Johnson, Tyler Hero, um, Bam Adebayo, De'Aaron Fox. They were not getting those difference makers, and you can see the impact that those difference makers have. Look at what Zion did in his one year at Duke. Look at what R.J. Barrett did in his one year at Duke. Look at what Cade Cunningham did in his one year at Duke. Look at what Evan Mobley, while he was never recruited by Kentucky, did at USC elevating that program. Jalen Suggs at Gonzaga. And Kentucky was getting the next tier of guys behind that, but not the tier of guys that they needed. And so I give John Calipari so much credit because after the season, and I talked about it when Shaden Sharp committed, he went back to the drawing board and he said, everything that we've done is going to be reevaluated. And it was because they were coming off a historically terrible season. You guys all remember it. You don't need the details. 9-15 and 15 was the final record. Just a total dumpster fire. And I think John Calipari completely reevaluated what he was doing how his team was playing, how they acquired talent, the fact that they had to get older through the transfer portal, the fact that they had to play faster, they had to focus on the three-point shot, couldn't be playing two, three big guys at a time, completely revamped his roster in the offseason, and also completely revamped his coaching staff. Went out there and got two of the elite recruiters in high school basketball, Chin Coleman and Orlando Antigua, both were at Illinois last year, helped build them into a national championship contender, and that's what they were at Illinois last year, even though they lost to Loyola Chicago. Um, but he goes and gets those two guys, and you are immediately starting to see the dividends paid because the goal, again, was to get back into the living rooms of the top high school players in America and to get them to end up at Kentucky. You're not going to get them all, but you had to get the guys that matter. You had to get enough of them to get back to competing at the highest level, the level that Kentucky was competing at when John Calipari first got to Kentucky in 2009-2010. And from there, they went to four Final Fours between 2011 and 2015. And it appears as though they're on their way. I mean, Shaden Sharp is a difference maker at the college level. I talked about him last time, six foot four, power dunker, can play on and off the ball. Depending on what happens with the rest of this class, depending on what happens in the transfer portal, um, you know, he could be your lead guy. He can be a guy that plays off the ball. I kind of compared him to Jalen Suggs. If you want to get old in the portal, he can be a guy that's that, that can play off the ball and be maybe your leading scorer, your leading playmaker, without being a guy that you have to rely on every day. Chris Livingston is probably a guy that in, on any given night can take over, but he's not going to have to because he's not even the best player in this class, and there will be other veterans around him in addition to Shaden Sharp. So this is a great start to the recruiting class. It's worth noting that Sky Clark, who is currently ranked the number 18 player in the 2022 class, excuse me, so this coming high school class, he is also committed to Kentucky. So right now they already have three players in the top 20 that are committed, including two in the top five. And the scary part is, they ain't done yet, okay? They ain't done yet. They went out, got these two elite recruiters, Orlando Antigua, Chin Coleman, and these guys are making a difference. You just look across the board, 24-7 released their new rankings uh, within the last couple days. They, Kentucky's got the number one player and the number five player locked up. Number two player in the class, Derek Lively, who I think is the best player in the class, one of the most dominant high school big men that I have ever seen, physically at least on the defensive end. Know who the number one crystal ball pick is for Derek Lively? It's Kentucky. Not saying it's done, 
Duke's going to make their run. North Carolina's going to make their run. The pro leagues are going to try to get this guy to commit. But Derek Lively's number one choice right now is Kentucky. Uh, number seven player in the class, Cason Wallace, guard out of Texas, was seen for a long time as a Tennessee lean. Looks like it's going to be Kentucky. He could be committing here very soon. And then Adem Bona, the number 10 player in America, is also Kentucky is the leader in the clubhouse. So two top five guys committed. Three of the top 10 who are uncommitted have Kentucky as a heavy favorite. Now, will they get all of them? It's hard to say. Derek Lively, there's some real talk that he could end up in some other places, most notably Duke. And Adem Bona, I don't know if he goes to Kentucky, if Kentucky gets Derek Lively. But the point is, we could very well end up with four top 10 players in this class, potentially five committing to the University of Kentucky, plus Sky Clark, plus you know they're going to clean up in the portal. And by the way, there's going to be some guys from this year's team that come back. In the end, couple things. One, give John Calipari a ton of credit. This was a guy that said he was going to revamp this program uh, in the offseason. He was going to change everything. He said, I hope you got your licks in now because we're coming, baby. Well, he sure has done that uh, over the last couple weeks. We will see if it translates on the court, but on the recruiting trail, they have about as much momentum as anybody possibly could. Finally, let me say this. Uh, Kentucky fans, they're calling this the revenge tour, basically saying we are going to right our wrongs for last season. We'll see what happens on the court, but it sure is shaping that way as Kentucky gets a commitment from the number one high school, number five high school player in America, excuse me, Chris Livingston, second top five player in the last couple weeks. All right, I think that's it for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Nick Coffey coming up. Nick Coffey, just a great, great, great friend of mine. Uh, for longtime listeners of the show, Nick used to join me every episode. He was essentially a co-host. He, uh, frankly, has had a ton of success in his career. He was hosting a midday show at that point. He now hosts a morning drive show, 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern time in Louisville. So he doesn't have time to come join me every single day. But Nick Coffey, uh, great college football mind, great college basketball mind. Uh, and he's going to join me you know, a couple times every month here during college football season just to do what we do. And a really fun conversation, by the way. Uh, Nick Coffey and I discuss uh, the USC job. You know, how important is it for USC to be relevant in college football? Who can they possibly get? Uh, I, I, I kind of throw out a fun college football playoff hot take that I have for this season. Um, which I don't think I've really talked about on this show, so I think it's going to be kind of cool uh, for you guys to hear that. And then Nick has a really funny story from the Louisville side of things as Louisville gets set to play Central Florida tonight at home in Louisville. Before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, please make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Music, Amazon Music. Wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are, in fact, subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you are following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. The YouTube channel is popping. Also worth noting, uh, if you like the college football coverage, I do a college football betting show even more in-depth than this one, more in-depth than that 25 minutes that I just gave you. Uh, if you like this stuff, college football betting with Aaron Torres, if you go to Aaron Torres online, there's an entire podcast page where you can get all the information for that. Uh, so make sure that you subscribe to college football betting as well. And make sure you listen to the Aaron Torres uh, podcast and Aaron Torres online is where all my writing is. With that said, it is time to get out of here. It is time to get to Nick Coffey. 
Shout out to Tori Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I hope you enjoy this weekend. And I can't wait for Monday's Aaron Torres pod because you just never know what's going to come. Who would have thought last Monday I'd be – who would have thought last Friday that on Monday I'd be talking about uh, Oregon upsetting Ohio State and then two days later Clay Helen getting fired. So who knows what's going to happen this weekend, but I am out of here. It's time for Nick Coffee. All right, joining me via Zoom, my old buddy. Uh, we get him on here every, you know, once a month or so. We'll try to do a little bit more now that football is here. But you can hear him every morning, 7 to 10 Eastern, 790 KRD in Louisville. He hosts the Red Zone. Old friend, regular guest of the Aaron Torres podcast, Nick Coffee, my man. What is going on? Man, it is the best time of the year. We got college football in full swing. The NFL now underway. Uh, we, we, we really only have, what, two days a week where there's no football. That's Tuesday and Wednesday. So uh, it's great. I, this, to be honest with you, the summer usually goes by extremely slow. But this year it flew by, and here we are already three weeks into college football. So uh, I'm happy to be a part of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast experience once again. I think, Aaron, this may be is this season number four or five that we've been, we've been breaking it down. I think it's four. I think it's four. I could be mistaken. Um it's been a while. It's been a while. But what I will say, a couple things that you said there. One, I totally agree on the no football Tuesday, Wednesday deal. I literally, it was uh, Tuesday night uh, this past week. And I just like looked up and I was like, like, what, what am I supposed to do? Like, what do I do? It's, it's six o'clock Pacific, which is nine Eastern. And there's nothing on, like, what do I do? So uh, I am with you on that. And it's great to have, it's great to have football back. I mean, let, let me just ask you, I think you've been to a game how nice and how how nice is it just to be back to normal, man? I mean, you know, I went to the Rams-Bears game the other day. Uh, how nice is it for you from your perspective? You go to all the Louisville home games. You might have been at that old Miss game. How nice is it, man, just to have fans in the stands, all that good stuff? It is awesome. And it's not just the fan experience that you can see when you're there. It's on TV, too. Like, I mean, the first opening night when you had Minnesota and Ohio State playing, Minnesota was rocking. And, and yep. you've – it reminded me a little bit of when we first got some fans in attendance for the NBA playoffs when, when the Knicks won their first playoff game in a long time. And I don't even think it was full capacity, but you just got to see what it really was like when there are fans that are there that are into it. And uh, it was awesome. I remember uh, Charles Barkley on Inside the NBA really saying, like, it, it, it's damn near emotional seeing what, it, what, what, what fans bring to the table when it comes to the overall experience of sports. So in college football, it's no different. I will tell you the, the two games – that I went to very lightly attended and uh, the U of L game against Eastern Kentucky, probably one of the least talked about games as, 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 as it should be uh, that, that, that was out there this past weekend, they had some logistical nightmares, but um, yeah. So there are some stadiums that are struggling to even get people to work the events, which is unfortunate, but other than that, it's just great having fans there. They certainly make a difference. I mean, we saw it, I think in the NFL on Sunday, I don't think that Browns punter, bobbles the ball like that if he wasn't doing it in a, in a Kansas City stadium where there's no seat empty so it's been it's been great to see it not only in person and experience it but on TV it adds to it as well oh yeah I was able to go to that Rams game on Sunday and and you know full house first night in the stadium it was just bananas um and so it is great sorry to hear that there's people struggling to find people to work I mean that that seems kind of I I don't know if that's happening here I just had not heard that um, but let's talk to college football. You know, you and I, we do, do a lot it. of football. We got a lot of basketball. 
Um, USC, what was your reaction? Um, I don't know if you watched any of that Stanford game. It was a disaster. It was clear that, frankly, just like this is not going to happen. It's not going to improve. Uh, but then 48 hours later, less than that, on a Monday night for Clay Helton in week two to get the can, I was a little bit surprised. What was your initial reaction? So my initial reaction was, damn, USC must really be down because the week beforehand, one of my parlays, I had a first half parlay going and it was it was it was botched due to Kansas State handling Stanford. Okay. So then I, I, my next parlay, I'm betting USC is going to take care of Stanford, man. David Shaw's in trouble. And then I, I tuned in and it was the other way around. So initial reaction is, man, they're bad. But then when the news comes down that they've made the decision, honestly, the first thing I thought of was was Bobby Petrino. He was fired at Louisville mid-season, a lot later in the season than, of course, what they're doing here after just a couple of games. But when you know it ain't going to get better, there's no need to, to delay it. Because the longer you – I mean, you could sense just – I mean, I don't know how much better USC is going to be now that they've made a change in season. But just to – when you need to give guys some new life um, and, and a fresh start, essentially. I hate to say that because it makes it sound like Helton's a terrible guy. They need to get out of there. That was the case with Bobby. It was a toxic situation. I doubt that's what's going on here. But it's it's quite clear this is just not going to work. So uh, I, I I'm I'm in favor. A lot of, I think people always say, well, I don't know why you why do it now. Why not just wait till the end of the year? I think a lot of people say that. I'm okay with doing it mid season if you really think it's going to if if you just know it's over. Well, first of all, important note: it's not even close to mid season. We're in week two, uh, but I completely agree with you. And it is funny, right? Like you know, all of these. Uh, you know, the world that we live in, you know, with these narratives and, and you know, some of them are fair and some of them aren't. But one of them is exactly what you just said. Oh, you know, how can you do it? And it was like, I didn't really hear that at all. Um, and I just think it, it speaks to the fact that, you know, this guy, listen, one thing you, you can't say about him and college football is a weird deal because there's so many guys that just they don't get a fair shake. Right. You know, Willie Taggart's out at Florida State halfway through year two. Um, you know, plenty of other guys could use an extra year or two. I don't think anyone feels like Clay Helton didn't have enough time to prove whether he was the right head coach for USC or not. Um, and if anything, you know, he's kind of avoided some bullets. Just I talked about it on Wednesday show, but, you know, the timing of the, you know, the fact that, you know, they hired a new AD basically a week before the season ended in 2019. Then you have COVID. And so this guy's dodged a ton of bullets to this point. And frankly, probably easily could have and maybe even should have been out uh, years ago, if not at the very least last year, even last year when they went five and one. Uh, I've said it a bunch of times on this show, but three fourth quarter comebacks, which, uh, you know, easily could have been two and three, even though they went five and one last year. Before we get to some some candidates or, you know, a candidate or two, you know, you, uh, you know, you're, you're a fan, man. And, and, you know, the reason I've always loved doing these, these uh, shows with you is because I know that you're uh, even though you're a parent, even though you're a husband, you're on the couch, like everybody else watching these games. Um, you know, how important is it for you as a college football fan? You know, you are one of those guys that, as you just said on a Saturday night, you know, you're up hanging out, kids are in bed, you got a cold one and you're watching Pac-12 after dark. How important is it for you? Because I think, you know, you are a metaphor. I am a metaphor for the average college football fan. Uh, how important do you think it is for USC to be good uh, or at the very least, whether it's Oregon, UCLA or somebody else, that somebody becomes a truly relevant power on the West Coast? It's absolutely important because I, and this, this is such a 
it's one of those things I'm going to say that I don't, I don't really know how much I believe it, but I heard somebody else say it and I'm thinking, okay, you know what, maybe he's right. It was Brandon Walker of Barstool Sports who said that a program like USC of, of, of that caliber, if you want to go blue blood and call it that, if we're going to do blue bloods in college football, it is certainly one of them. But like the sport is never better off when a program like that is not, maybe not at its very best reaching its full potential, but they need to be relevant. They need to matter in the conversation when it comes to the hierarchy of college football. And USC has not been bad. They just haven't been anywhere close to what they strive to be and what they can be. So I, I'm not a USC fan by any means. I did enjoy watching uh, my, my, my teenage years. They had some great teams, great quarterbacks. Of course, Reggie Bush, that was, that was a hell of a run with, uh, with Pete Carroll. So no, it does matter. And you know, I, I think I can appreciate a program that, and again, the, the results with Helton are, are, you know, it's pretty obvious that, you know, they, they can do better. That, that, that goes without saying, but they know what they are fully capable of and they're not getting it. So if he was to go reel off nine, 10 wins, in most cases, that's good. Hard to say, hardly fireable by any means, but they know they can do better. They want to strive to be the best. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of my reaction when Texas A&M went and got Jimbo Fisher and they were willing to pay whatever it takes because look, they know their resources. Yeah. Some would say, Hey, you're, you're never going to be that. Well, they're looking at themselves in the mirror saying, why can't we look at what we have to offer? So um, I, I, not to say I'm happy somebody loses their job by any means, but this decision to fire a guy and move on from him when he clearly is not his results for the most part would not lose his, him his job in most places, but USC knows what they can be. And it's just quite clear. They're not going to reach that under him. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I've, I've said this on the last few episodes, but, um, you know, listen, one of the reasons we all love college football is the fanaticism and the passion of, of all the fans all across the country. Um, and, you know, like, and part of the fun of college football is that there are some maniacal, very unrealistic fans in a lot of parts of the country, right? Like, you know, uh, um, you know, I've used this example, but Nebraska believing that they should, and I think Nebraska fans are pretty tame compared to a lot of fan bases, but like maybe it really isn't realistic that Nebraska is a perennial national championship contender in 2021. Maybe it isn't realistic that Tennessee is a perennial national championship contender in 2021. Um, you know, whoever you go down the list, Ole Miss, whatever. Uh, USC is like one of those fan bases, though, that like when they believe that they should be in the college playoff mix every year um, and, you know, should be in the college football playoff mix every year. I don't think that they're crazy for thinking that. And I live out here and the recruiting has never stopped being good, even as up and down as the program has been. Um, the fan base is, is they'll show up when you're good, but they're not going to show up to just to, to watch your team get, get their butt kicked. Um, and so I don't like, they're one of the few programs where I don't think it's unrealistic for them to think that they deserve to be in that national championship conversation, national championship hunt uh, every single year. All right, I'm gonna do something, Nick. Uh, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put okay. all the weight on you. Um, you're USC's AD. Who do you, who do you want? Who who is Nick Coffey, USC AD's first phone call as AD at USC? I hate to be vanilla and predictable, but I, I'm gonna go with Luke Fickle. I think the the resume checks out. If it was my market in my radio show, it would be a boring coaching search because it, it makes too much sense. He's a rising candidate. Uh, he's not been a head coach at the Power Five level, but everything else on his resume—that's really the only thing you could say that might lead you to think it's—it's—it's it's, it's an uninspiring hire. And I think the AD history makes sense. That's an important thing. So, I mean, there've been other ADs who have hired a guy that they worked with previously and it didn't work out. But 
if I think one, I think it's a guy you can get, and I think that's a huge factor too. You don't want to, USC doesn't want to turn into a program that swings and misses a bunch because I think that even though that really doesn't change what the job is and the, and the resources it has, perception's reality. And if, if people keep, if you keep swinging and missing on coaches, I think that's what really started to hurt Tennessee. That's not their only problems, but I mean, how many times did they just assume they were going to be able to get whoever they wanted and they got turned down? That, 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 that puts a bad light on the perception of your program. So I think Luke Pickle's the guy. I think he's a really, really good coach. I think Cincinnati's legit. I don't think they're just some cute G5 team from, from the Americans. So that's, that's who I would go with. I know, Bob Stoops' name has come up. I just, as much as I like Bob Stoops and he's a legend, I just, that doesn't do it for me. It's a retread. He's been out of the game for a long time. Um, you know, he might be able to recruit, but can he really thrive at that age? I know James Franklin's name has come up. That would probably be my second choice, but I've seen enough from Luke Fickle that he's rising at the perfect time to take this job and, and really take off. I don't know you would be able to answer this better, like his connections to that side of the country. And, and I would assume that's very important, but I mean, at USC, you can probably build yourself a hell of a staff. First of all, yeah, and that's something I talked about on Wednesday's show is that basically, um, you know, one thing about USC is they kind of wanted to compete at that, uh, you know, Bama, Ohio State, Clemson level, and they weren't really supporting the, the program in such a way that would allow them to. And really over the last three, four, five years, they've really committed, really since this AD has gotten there, a lot of resources to building up the recruiting staff, building up uh, everything that you need to kind of compete at that highest level. And now I do think they're going to go get uh, a really, really, really good coach out of this. Uh, as far as Fickle's concerned, you know, it's really funny. I was seeing a lot of the reaction from people in Cincinnati. Oh, he'd never leave. He has no interest in uh, that kind of market, that kind of limelight. Um, and like he does feel a little bit more Midwest than, than everybody else. But did you get a chance to see the audio or the video of his press conference on Tuesday? I don't know if you did or not. Did you at all? Just where he said he's not interested in the job? All he said was, oh, you know, I can't. I mean, I, I'm not going to talk about that. I mean, I barely even talk to my, my wife and kids during the season. So, you know, I, I'm not worried about other jobs. That, he, that was essentially what he said. Yeah, I know. I, I heard a little clip on our national uh, sports update on Fox Sports Radio, but that it was very brief. So um, now he, he, as you said, he doesn't seem he does seem more Midwestern than Hollywood. And I don't know how much that matters. You would know more than I do. I guess it does. I guess there, there, there's at least some importance to that. But to answer your question, I did not see the entirety of the clip, but he doesn't have much. I mean, now, now, you're, now you're talking me out of him because, uh. you know, because his, his a lot of his press conferences like he's. There, I mean, there's not a lot of personality there, and I, maybe that doesn't sell in, in Hollywood. Well, uh, well, the reason I bring it up was because it wasn't as strong of a non-denial denial as, uh, you know, James Franklin. James Franklin was just basically like, oh, you know, I, I don't do distractions. I'm going to talk to my leadership council about it, which was basically just completely ducking the question. Luke Fickle, though, kind of sort of gave a pretty strong non-denial denial. And so I only bring it up because Cincinnati, you know, beat writers and reporters seem to think, oh, there's no way he'd go to Holly. That's not who he is. I don't know, man. It's a really good job. The AD knows you and the, the program is set up to win, man. It's just, you know, it's one of those deals. It is a little bit like Urban Meyer when he got to Ohio State and that there is no as of right now. Uh, real power in, in this in the conference now by the end of the year maybe Oregon's 12 and 0 and they're the number one seed in the playoff and UCLA's 11 and 2 and uh, you know winning the Rose Bowl and it's a different deal but 
I think pretty much any competent coach could come in and win pretty big right away. Um, as far as the, you know, the flash and pizzazz stuff, you know, that that's why, um, you know, James Franklin to me is, in my personal opinion, the number one guy outside of Urban Meyer. I, by the way, where are you at on Urban Meyer? I, I Listen, I don't want to do the cliche like sports talk radio, uh, completely uninformed guy podcast thing. He looked pretty freaking unhappy on on Sunday, and I know it sounds crazy. I know it's only week one, but like you know, I mean, it's gonna be another eight or nine weeks before they have to fill this job. And if he's sitting there at one and seven, I don't know. Like like you know, it, it's easy to say he'd never leave in the middle of the season. Nick Saban did it. He got crushed for a week, and now he's a legend. Nobody even remembers. Um, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, Bobby Petrino did it. Got crushed. Uh, got Arkansas to a sugar bowl in year three or year four. They loved him there until he obviously got forced out. I'm just saying is like, I don't know. I don't, I, I get why like a credit, a super credible reporter, big J can't, can't call it out. I just, I watched that game and I was like, he looks miserable. He, there's no way this guy is built for a three or four year rebuild in Jacksonville. Uh, what do you think on Urban Meyer? Oh, I, I read a report from Jason Lekin Forath. I just wanted to get his name right. I'm sure I butchered it, but he's with CBS and covers the NFL. And he has sources to tell him that like it's much worse than anybody even realizes. Like it's wow. it's bad. Uh, you know, so much so that he's trying. Like, he tried to coach the preseason like it was a real season, and he's like disciplining his staff and just doing things that make no sense in the NFL in the locker room. Uh, the Tebow thing obviously didn't didn't sit well with a lot of the players. So I, I'm I think it would not be a shocker if he's out midseason, and, and he's, he's not doing, I mean, he's not doing anything to really make people think otherwise. He may be saying, you know, he's committed, but that's just words at this point. He can't hide his awful body language yes. and just overall demeanor. I mean, this, he's not, he's not built for this. And I don't I mean, I, he's one of those guys that, I mean, everywhere he's been, he's been stupid, stupid, successful. Like there would be and no quick, super quick. Yeah. Yeah, like they're and look at the and now keep in mind a, a lot of places that he's gone, the resources have been there to where he can do it. Um, and USC is one of those jobs. Like when you think of the very few places you could go if you're Urban Meyer and you know you've got everything you need to win a national championship rather quickly, USC is in that tiny tier. So you could obviously mm -hmm. see how that would that would entice him. But uh, I just never know what it, what's what to believe about the health stuff. Like on the surface, it all looks like bullshit because everything he's I mean he's even whenever he stopped coaching, he went right to media, which is still a lot of travel and a lot. Of, I mean, so I, I, I don't know. I, uh, if I'm USC, I, I, I would, that would be my first choice, but I guess he just doesn't come to mind because he is currently in the NFL. Yeah. That, that's the only reason I bring it up is because I think you got to wait another three or four weeks and, you know, you just got to, you know, plant the seed in the, in the agent's ear after an especially bad loss. You know, I kind of have circled, they play in Seattle on, on um, Halloween night. Uh, you know, just, you know, if that one goes down, you know, 41 to seven final score, you know, you just, you know, you just, just hit up the agent, you know, have them forward a text from uh, a 310 area code, no big deal. So uh, that to me is. I, I, I think it actually is going to get worse for him too, Aaron, because uh, Charlie Strong, of course, was, was he, he coached under Urban Meyer at Florida for many years. And I'm, I got a, a couple of former Charlie Strong players from Louisville come on my show each week and Charlie's now on staff uh, with mm -hmm. Urban. I think he's the linebackers coach and they said knowing, I mean, Charlie Strong ran his program a lot like Urban Meyer, which I guess nowadays is not necessarily a compliment, but it's just, it's a dictatorship and, and, and 
you know, Alex Cupper, former offensive lineman for Louisville, spent some time with the Texans and the Bills, and we talked about it earlier this week on the show, and he said, yeah, it, it ain't going to work. Like, this is just not a fit. You can't do in the NFL what he's going to try to do, and, not, and, and clearly he's trying to do that. He's trying to run the, you know, his NFL team like a college team. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we had Josh Perry on this show, who's very close with Urban Meyer. He works for the Big Ten Network. And he said that, you know, Urban was really trying to make an effort to learn the NFL game and all that stuff. But there's just too many reports coming out right now. It ain't pretty. Um, And I do think USC is one of those. I I think you can justify leaving in on November 20th when nobody likes you. you know, and nobody likes you. They don't want you there. It's clear it's not working. You're one in nine. Um, it was funny. I, I'm sure you probably saw or at least heard or maybe maybe heard, but I think I referenced this, but, you know, Jim Calhoun was on part of my take not too long ago, and they asked him about the NBA, and he said, you know, I'm not a smart guy, but that was like the one time in my life where I made the smart right decision and I didn't let my emotions get in the way. You know, my, my heart told me, or I don't, I forget if it was my heart or my head, but my heart told me I wanted the challenge, but my head told me you're just not built for this. And I kind of feel like urban Meyer is the same way in football is like, you know, not just how he runs things, but you know, the fact that, you know, this, this is a guy that literally gets physically ill from losing. Um, you know, he's not built, like I said, to go, two and 15 this year, then, then next year they're improved and they're seven and whatever. And then the, you know, like, I just don't think he's built for it. So I think it's gonna be fascinating to watch unfold. Uh, And you talk about body language again, another press conference from this week, he was asked about the USC job and he kind of had his hands in his pockets and he's like, golly, no, I'm not interested. Like, but you could tell it it wasn't pretty. So um, I want to talk to us about about some other stuff. So I have a, a take for you that I haven't really put out there yet. Uh, and I want your opinion, and I think you'll like it because I think you're you're on the same page. We kind of talked before the show, and I think you're going to be on the same page as me. So one of the big things you and I have talked about, as you said, we've been doing this show a while now, every offseason, it's like, you know, is there playoff fatigue with the same three, four, five teams? Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Alabama, almost every year, three of those teams are in. Um, everybody says there's playoff fatigue. Everybody says they want new new blood. I think this is the year we're going to get new blood. Um, I I think Oregon right now is in the driver's seat to make the playoff. They only have two ranked teams left on their schedule. UCLA is really good. They play at UCLA, but everybody knows the Rose Bowl is not a daunting road environment. They might have to play UCLA again in the conference championship game, but Washington looks down. They don't play USC. Uh, They do play Utah, but Utah just got their butt kicked by BYU. I think this is the year where we really do get some fresh blood, where maybe – Penn State is the best team in the Big Ten. Uh, maybe Iowa is the best team in the Big Ten. And it wouldn't shock me to get like a Bama, Georgia, Iowa, Penn State, or Georgia, Oklahoma, whatever. Like, I think there's going to be some teams that we're not used to seeing in there. And I'm curious if fans are as interested. So I don't even know if that's really a question as much as it is just a commentary is I think for years we've been saying we want some new teams in this playoff. I think we're about to get it, and I'm not sure whether people actually really want that or not. Kind of like, uh, you know, I've heard the analogy, and I think it's fair. It's like the NCAA tournament where everybody says they want upsets in round one, and then you get them, and you got, like, Loyola, Chicago, and Oregon State in the Sweet 16, and you're like, this game is awful. I don't want to watch this game. And I feel like we could be headed there a little bit with college football. Curious for your thoughts. Yeah, the, the analogy I use is like the first round of the tournament, 
it's like at the bar with your buddies and you're hammered and you know sister jean and loyola that's a 10 that night it's awesome like oh my god can you believe this what a night and then you get to the second weekend and you're sober and you're like oh shit what did i get myself into like that <laughs> that's that's the analogy i always use but I, I when you when you laid that out and you start talking about the fresh teams and, and whatnot I actually love the NBA playoffs this year, the finals. It sure. didn't do great ratings-wise, which I think the NBA is, is in ratings trouble anyway as it is. I think the the drama and the, the off-season moves are more of a, a talking point and more entertainment for people than the actual games. But nonetheless, I love that we had new teams there, with the Bucks and the Suns and all that. And hell, the, the Hawks made a run. Like, that was fun to me. So even if we get a team like in Iowa, they're not, they're not really that sexy. They're a good program, of course. Um, but they would be new to this. I think I would embrace it just because I want something fresh. What I don't want to happen is, is Ohio State to somehow end up winning the Big Ten, and we know that they were fraudulent when they played a damn good Oregon team. Like, I don't want that to happen, but I could see it happen, and I hope it doesn't happen. But, no, I, I'm, all for, uh, I'm all for a Pac-12 representative that looks like they may be able to actually win the whole thing. I, I love the thought of somebody new from the Big Ten Penn State's probably a team that, that could, could seriously get there. Uh, so I'm with you. And what I always would say is when it was Bama and Clemson for the national championship every year, it seemed for a little while there, I know it was stale to some, but at the end of the day, don't you want your two best teams who you know are the two best teams? Like we knew it was Clemson and Alabama, and really there was some separation between them. I don't think we have that this year. I think Bama may be the team that has big separation between everybody else. So um, yeah, I, I'm all about getting something fresh in there. That's why I'm now more open to playoff expansion than I was beforehand. I mean, I guess I just accepted it's going to happen regardless of what I think. But just having more representation there and new representation, I think, is good for the sport. Yeah, I um, I happen to agree. I, I I hear this all the time: is like I want chaos, and I'm like, why do you want chaos? I want the like. I don't want to watch Ohio State play 11 crappy teams a year just to see them get upset in the Big Ten championship game, and then I don't get to see them against Clemson or Alabama. Like, I want to see them against Clemson or Alabama. Same with Clemson, same with whoever. Um, so I'm with you, and I'm with you with the college football playoff expansion as well. I've said it many times on this show. I'm not someone that has ever really been super in favor of it, um, but I also think, like you said, I, I just think it's going to help the sport to get more teams in, to get more interest, stuff like that. Nick, I know you're on a little bit of a tight schedule. Anything else that has you hot, fired up, excited? Could be football, could be basketball. You pretty much name it, buddy. Anything else that, that's got you going here? Um, no, I'm trying to think of what's – I mean, here locally, which I know is not of interest to a lot of the listeners because we've got Aaron Torres Sports Podcast listeners across the planet. Um, but the the have you heard about – and I know you also have a big connection in the state of Kentucky, so some of your listeners may find this interesting and they may know about it, but have you seen – the uh, the situation where the you, regarding the University of Louisville assistant director of fan engagement. Do you know at all what I'm talking about? So I loosely saw this story, but go ahead and explain because I kind of saw it in passing, and I think, like you yeah. said, there's a lot of people that might not be familiar with it. All right, so I am a U of L uh, fan supporter. I cover the team, but I, I think most know I'm pretty objective and, and pretty fair. Uh, and I'm so fair and so objective to tell you that I think they're going to have a nightmare football season. I think they're going to fire their head coach. Um, so anyways, uh, that, that's what I think could end up happening this year. But nonetheless, the, the stadium on Saturday for the opener was a nightmare. It was a logistical nightmare. They were relying. They went cashless, which meant everybody had to put their credit cards in to do anything. 
They also had very, they also had a, a connection issue where think about this, Aaron, they were having to put people's credit card numbers in manually on every order. When oh you get my a beer. God. Yeah. So lines were crazy. I mean, it was such a nightmare. The, the AD had to do a press conference yesterday to talk about how they're going to fix it just to get people to come out for their Friday night game against central Florida. So nonetheless, it was awful. Uh, you had a lot of concession stands not even open because they couldn't find people. They use a provider in town that is, I guess, the staffing provider for events. Turns out there was a semi-pro soccer game. There was a Michael Buble concert at the Yum Center. And there was also a Louisville Bats minor league baseball game. So there's short of staffing as it is. You mix in all those events going on. So it was just a big nightmare. So fans, people who've worked, who've, who've been supporters of UofL for decades that have spent a lot of money, you know, they're upset. They want to let people know, hey, this is unacceptable. Who can I reach out to? Hmm, let me go look at the website and see who I can find. And they go to the directory and there's a, you know, you're not going to reach out to the athletic director directly because, you know, he's the AD. He's not exactly, you know, reachable. So you find a position titled assistant director of fan experience. Okay. You think, okay, maybe this guy's, I mean, this is the guy. That, doesn't that sound like a position who could be, who, who could maybe be involved in your experience at a game? He does. So somebody looks up, finds the guy's name. It's Noah Peterson. They look up, look him up, find him on Twitter. He's a humongous Kentucky fan, huge Kentucky fan who hates Louisville. And, and look, there's a difference. You can be a UK grad, which he is, and work at, at UofL. Like, I, let's grow up here. You don't have to be a, a diehard. I mean, that, that, hell, Louisville's athletic director is, is, a, is a Kentucky grad. So that's not the issue. But on his Twitter, people just did a little searching. They didn't have to do much digging to find out that he is such a he's – the, he's the director of fan experience, assistant director of fan experience for Louisville. But he also is blocked by Lamar Jackson because he harassed him so much about fumbling. Wow, I didn't know that part. Yes. Also, he showed up to an ugly Christmas sweater party in 2018 wearing just a sweatshirt with nothing on it and put a picture of Rick Pitino on it, did an L's down um, in, in the picture. Uh, he, when, he, when he was a student at the University of Louisville, UofL was trying to recruit Kentucky kids to transfer to Louisville. And he screenshotted the email that said, hey, you know, come to L and your credits transfer. And he, he, he took a screenshot and tweeted it and said, when do I get the hookers? So, wow. Oh, my God. What makes this hilarious is the guy is an entry-level employee. He runs like the video boards at the game. <laughs> but the, op the optics are hilarious. Some old fans are getting mad at me. But I think this is funny as hell that fans have a terrible experience. And they're thinking, I've never seen anything like this. This is terrible. What's going on? Let's go talk to the director of fan experience. And you see that. So the optics make it look like this guy's sabotaging game day. And he's not. But it's funny. That's funny. It's hilarious. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, you know, I, I swear. I mean, it's been a while since I applied for a job. Like, I'm just at that age where my job is kind of what it is. And, uh, you know, I'm not exactly, uh, you know, uh, updating my resume anytime soon. Um, but I, I thought it was like a pretty well-known thing that like when you're coming out of school uh, or when you're applying for a job to scrub your social media yes. because it will be checked. Uh, That's what fans are mad about. Okay. That's what they're mad about. Yeah. I mean, nobody wants the guy to lose his job. They don't want to harass him. But like it also is – I mean if, if I was going to apply for a position of the assistant director of fan experience at, at the Aaron Torres Sports Network – Sure. But then my Twitter account says all this shit about Aaron Torres Sports Network sucks. I hate it. I literally hate Aaron Torres. He's the worst. Like, would yeah. you hire me? No. So this guy would never have been hired if anybody looked, but nobody, nobody checked. And the AD was asked about it, 
which is funny anyway, that we got to the point that during a press conference, he's asked about this kind of stuff. And he said, it's not a requirement, although it is, it is done a lot of times. He said it probably wasn't done this time. He said, I didn't hire the young man, but he did make fans feel better knowing, hey, knowing what I've seen now, I'm not too happy about it. And once we get through this logistical mess, we'll deal with it. He's not going to fire him. But like, I'm just thinking of like, you know what? The guy really loves Louisville now and he's a fan. Go help out in the concession week this week, brother. Yeah, let, that's so be, be the beer man, dude. That is crazy. I saw all I saw was that they were mad because he was a UK fan. Uh, I did not know all the logistics, but that is crazy. It's oh something you'd see in a movie, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Like a bad, like Seth Rogen movie from like yeah. the mid 2000s <laughs> or something like that. Like, oh Take my it god, easy on Seth Rogen. Yeah, he's all right. I mean, he's okay now. But, you know, uh, that is incredible. I had not heard that uh, segment of the story. So, uh, anyway, I know you got to run. So, if you want more, you know, if you want an update on that story, you better be listening to the Red Zone 790KRD in Louisville, uh, 7 to 10 Eastern every day, um, Monday through Friday, really. Obviously, pre and post game, so you'll be on air Friday night. And of course, um, you know, if, uh, you know, if you need an update on that or, or whatever, make sure you're following Nick on Twitter as well on social media at the card connect. Nick, that was the best part. I'm sorry we saved it for last. I had no idea. I thought you'd like that. And look, if people don't take things too seriously, we can have some fun. And a lot of Lowell fans I know have had fun with it. But yeah, it's a it's a wild story that's starting to make its rounds uh, nationally. So. Happy to share that with you, and as always, happy to be a part of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast experience. All right, that is Nick Coff. You can hear him every day, 7 to 10 Eastern, 790 KRD. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.